may or may not have been at the Bible college around the same time, but we do know almost all the same people, so it's pretty cool. It is cool how the Lord works that out. Again, my name is Jacob. I'm from Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, not originally. I'm a transplant, like most of the people up there, it seems. Uh, originally from California, and then I've been lucky to spend the last seven years up there at the lake. Still getting used to humidity, okay? Not going to lie. Uh, Tuesday, we played softball. My brother and I were playing, and we felt like our, it's like playing underwater almost. It's almost like playing in like a dog's mouth is what I refer to it. It's hot, and it's humid, and it's like, I just feel like I can't breathe, and I, I'm struggling. My brother is like laying on the ground, and our coach was like, dude, you were in war. What are you doing? He's like, it's too hot. <laughs> so we're, we're pampered, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. That's truth talk. Uh, but yeah, so I've been able to do that. Started off doing the youth ministry, and now the last uh, two years I've been able to step into more of an associate pastor administrative role and have been able to share God's word um, with uh, the adults on Sunday morning, which has been a very fun experience and it's been something that has been really good. I started off uh, teaching almost topically. I would still teach uh, expositionally through the word, but I would teach sporadically, so I would just be picking what I was going through devotionally. Uh, and it was challenging. <laughs> it was very challenging to do that. And so my wife encouraged me to teach through a book. And so every time I taught, I would just go into the next section of the book there. And uh, it was great. The Lord led me to Nehemiah. So I've been teaching through Nehemiah this year with our church. And uh, I thought it would be a great place for um, us to go as well today. So if you guys have a Bible, open it up to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. The... Uh, title that I've been using is Impacting a Nation, um, and today's uh, session is called Opportunity Through Opposition. If you need a Bible, real high in the sky, did you get them all? Put them up, there you go, I'll bring one to you. Opportunity Through Opposition, and we'll look at sometimes God delivers us from opposition, and sometimes he delivers us through opposition. We're going to do something a, uh, a little different, we're going to read I'm going to read the whole section that we're going to teach on today, so bear with me as we go through a couple of verses here, Uh, but then I think it's important for us to get the context that we can come back and break it down. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, going to verse 23 today, or excuse me, verse 16 today, and it says, Now, when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what, are the, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin be blotted, excuse me, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. 
And in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said that they will not know or see till we come in among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the low, lowest parts of the, excuse me, the spaces behind the wall in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemy heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're so desperate, Lord, for you to show up. Uh, Lord, without you, we have uh, no abilities to, to actually come to the place of understanding the word. So, Father, we, as the song was saying, invite your Holy Spirit here, Lord. Um, penetrate our hearts. Lord, allow us to see, Lord, um, the areas in us that, that need to be convicted, that need to be challenged, that need to be encouraged. Lord, that we might leave here changed more into your image. Father, we are uh, coming here, Lord, just uh, thankful, Lord, for what you've given to us. Thankful for the time that we have, that we can just open your word, Lord, uh, together collectively, and uh, that we can worship you, Lord, through song and through opening of your word. So, Father, again, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. How many of you guys have purchased a home? (laughs) A few of you. As a California kid, I put it out of my mind ever purchasing a home because it was so expensive, right? It is ridiculously expensive. And so I just was like... Rent for life. I'm just going to be a renter. And so I just kind of associated that that was going to happen. And then the Lord was gracious to me and moved me out to Missouri. So as I was at Bible college, excited about the opportunity, I looked on a map and said, where is Missouri? And I was like, there it is. (laughs) Geography in California isn't the greatest. but So I just, you know, well, there it is, excited. Did a little Google search. Uh, I think a lot of the pictures were of Branson. And so I just saw like a river and, you know, some trees and I was like, cool, that looks good. That looks, it's totally different than where we're at. So I was like, that's awesome. So moved out here, was really excited, loved all the greenery, uh, the colors and the animals and the, even snakes. There's like, they're so brightly colored, you know, didn't see that before. Red bird known as a cardinal, never seen one of those, was really excited. Blue bird, cool, blue, red birds, awesome, you know. We have like seagulls and ravens or crows, you know, it's like, that's all we have. So I was really pumped. I was really excited and uh, really excited about buying a house. So my wife, not so much. She is a renter for life. That was what she is. She struggles with commitment and we have two children and she has me. So pray for her in that area. Uh, but she didn't want to buy at all. She was completely content with renting. So I did some research. I was like, this is how much money we would be. And I use the word wasting on rent, right? That's a tactic that I would use. If you were to invest it, another tactic, word choice, in a house, then we would not be throwing money away. See what I did? I used all those words, and it was great, and I guided her to the right decision. Um, but then we started, we started looking for houses. We started doing the process, which um, we probably saw 400 houses. Uh, Cincinnati, her, Los Angeles, me, meets at the lake. Um, if you've ever seen the houses at the lake, they're, they're not like anything that we're used to. So everything we saw was like, this, it doesn't make sense to us. So we couldn't process it. Basements were just like, you know, 
that is a part of your, you use that space. That is your second living space. And I'm like, still to this day, our basement's a wasted space, right? But we're very excited. We went and looked at houses. We came across the house, all white. Have you ever seen one of those houses? They literally, everything, floor, so carpet is white, linoleum's white, walls are white, ceiling's white, chandeliers are white, fans are white. <laughs> you walk in and you're like, wow. And so I walk in and I see potential, right? Some of us are like that. Some of you guys out there, potential. You can, visionaries, right? I do that at the church and our board gets frustrated. I'm like, blow the trees out. Put a gymnasium. And they're like, who's paying for it? Don't worry about it. Let's just vision right now. <laughs> blow it down, you know. Buy all the neighbor's houses. Bible college. <laughs> they're like, right, yeah. So pray for them too. Um so, but I was visionary. I'm like, take this wall down, paint these walls, do this. And my wife was just like, this is way too much work. Like, all she saw was all the obstacles that we were facing. So, again, in the educated way, I showed her the potential, as we would. And we ended up spending quite a bit of time in prayer, and we ended up buying the house. And so, first thing I do, obviously, is super excited and, you know, blowing this out, taking this carpet up and painting walls and and uh, getting really excited. Uh, we had a dirt front yard, so I was like, this isn't going to work. So brought in a bunch of topsoil and put down a sod garden, then Googled how to take care of a sod, sod garden. You know, how do you take care of your front yard if it's sod? And it says water, so easy. I'm out there watering all the time. So now I'm out there watering, taking walls down inside, painting walls, you know, working on the house. My wife's now catching the vision. She's getting a little excited. She's all... Okay, so if we come into the closet now and remove it, and we put the closet over here, I can get a bigger bathroom. And I was like, okay. And she's all, and then this would be the shower. And I said, why do you need a six by five shower? Are you bringing a cow in here? What is going on? I'm not understanding. And she said, it's an investment. She got me. She got me. <laughs> right in. And so, of course, and she's all, can you... Can you do the shower? I'm like, absolutely. You know, just one of those where I'm like, hero mentality, right? Husbands, someone. I'm like, easy, I can do a shower. I've never done a tile shower. I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm like, absolutely, I can do it. So get in there, start doing it. As you know, working on your house, opposition, obstacles everywhere. Everything goes wrong. And so I'm working on the house, and then all of a sudden, um, my watering of the sod uh, is pre- presenting dead spots. And so my natural mind is more water, right? More water. Shh. And then the dead spot grows. And I'm like, okay, more water, more water. And then the dead spot grows. And then all of a sudden a bunch of mushrooms pop up. And I'm like, Google it. And apparently I got a silver dollar fungus that is a real life thing and was taking out my sod. And so I'm like, okay, you're not supposed to water at night. Okay, lesson learned and water a day. And so then I'm now to this day still removing like 30 to 40 mushrooms a day. I was aggressively watering, okay? So doing that, and I'm like, no big deal. We're still potential. My mind is still set on this is an investment for my family uh, so that they could play in the yard and an investment for our future. So continue forward, moving forward. Uh, wake up one day, and the toilet's leaking, and it's just destroyed the downstairs ceiling. And so cut out the ceiling and replace that and fix the toilet, okay? It's, again, progress. We're still moving forward. And then we go on vacation a couple weeks ago, and come back, the AC unit's out. And any of you guys know what that's like. And you come in, and you're standing at the thermostat, and you're going, 
I don't know. And you go over to the vent and you're like, I don't know, that's semi-cold, I don't really know. And you're pushing it down, honey, is it cold? I don't know, I don't, this thing's not working, I don't know what's going on. And, and of course, AC units only go out on Saturdays or Sundays, right? Have you guys experienced that? It's a Saturday, AC unit's out, so you have to call. Emergency, guy comes out, fixes, says, condenser's gone, you have to replace the whole outside unit. And it's a free-on-one because it's an older house, so you have to replace the whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, money signs, right? And I'm like, no, is there anything else you could do? Luckily, Lord willing, he had an AC unit that he brought in, and it was a cheaper fix than that. So great, excited. Now we've got that fix. Again, my mind is, I'm still okay. I'm not too bad. Fall asleep, wake up, and our whole master ceiling is just saturated and is just falling down in the middle of the night. And it's like, it's 3 a.m., you know, and you're like, what do you do? So I just grab the sheets and go and lay on the living room floor and deal with it in the morning, come back in, and apparently the vent coming up in the roof wasn't sealed correctly, so the water was just kind of flooding in in the uh, the rain that's out here. And so then cut out the ceiling and replace it. And you know what? I came to the place where I was like, Lord, maybe you didn't want me to buy this place, right? You guys have come to that when you get a certain amount of opposition, like, here is okay, but once I get here, maybe I made the wrong choice, right? And so I'm at the place going, I am, is this right? Is this the right thing to do? And you know, the Lord was coming to the place of just going, you are at that right place. I did bring you to buy that place, but I still have to teach you lessons. I still have to grow you into the man I want you to be. And I'm like, you couldn't just like give me a test or something like a... Like a written test, an oral one? I'll go to school. I don't have a problem with that. Don't flood my basement, you know. (laughs) That one's tough. But the Lord was showing me that. And my mind was always set on the fact that this is an opportunity. So every one of the oppositions that came may have knocked me to my knees. They may have discouraged me to a certain extent. But they always were at a place where I'm like, but this is still what the Lord has for me. I know that. And I know that he wants me here in this place. And the thing is, guys, is as we look at this today, there are going to be two totally different situations. Buying the house may seem like just a small, insignificant thing to building a wall in Jerusalem. But the reality is is that opposition is opposition. And if we allow it to, the Lord will use it for growth in our life. And if we don't, then it has the ability to crush us and consume us. And so when we look at it today, we're going to be going opportunity through opposition. We're going to be looking at three different points in the 16 verses that we shared. The first one will be, let's look at the opposition. The second one, let's look at how they overcame it. And the third one is, what was the opportunity that came from it? So the first point, opposition. The first thing that happens is they get verbal threats that come from Samballat and Tobiah. It says in verses 1 through 3, when Samballat heard that they were building the walls, He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it to themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones at that? And Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. The first opposition that we see is this verbal threats or verbal uh, discouragement. The whole purpose of why they would do this is they're trying to discourage the work from continuing. Did you know that scripture tells us in Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 18:21 it says that death and life are in the power of your tongue. See, so often we as people will get to the place where we can actually be even saying things and just go, well, it's just sarcasm, right? 
It's just laughter at another's expense. The reality is, is that we have the ability to speak encouragement into somebody's life or to cut them down all in the same sentence. And here we see that these men, uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, their, their first attack on the people of Israel is to come and try and cut their legs out from underneath them, to get them discouraged. See, discouragement is almost the opposite of faith. Discouragement will get our eyes focused on uh, the opposition or the obstacles or the threats, if you would. And we lose sight of who God is in that. Whereas faith comes to the place where we always have our eyes on God and that our hearts are set on the promises that he has for us and the things that he has given to us. So many of us in this room will get to the place to where oppositions will come, threats will come, verbal discouragement will come our way. And just like my house, we'll get to the place of going, Lord, is this really a ministry you want me to be a part of? Is this really the place you want me to be? Is this really the person you want me to be with? Is this really the, the job you have for me? All of a sudden, we start to question whether or not that is what God has for us. Because our eyes get off of the wall, get off of the work that God's called us to, and they get on the threat. Discouragement. What else happened to them? The second one that they have in opposition is when this discouragement doesn't work, then it gets physical. Verses 7 and 8 here. But when Sambala and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. See, the thing that they were hoping to do is they're hoping to confuse the children of Israel. See, the reason that they're doing this is that there's a hate in their heart. And this is something that all of us in this room can understand is that there is hate in the world that we live in. And hate breeds more hate. And when hate is thwarted, then it gets worse. It says that they actually became very angry now. Now they're very upset that what they were trying to stop isn't working. So now they're going to come at it from another angle. And they're going to try and create confusion in the camp by threatening a physical assault on them. See, confusion, they stop moving forward and they start looking at where the attack's going to come from, right? But here's the thing that is so amazing to me about this. In Nehemiah 4, we're looking at the threat, but in Nehemiah 2.17, we see that Nehemiah went to Jerusalem with the approval of the king, with the authority of the king, with even the king's men, maybe even his princes. He went down to Jerusalem with them. And not only that, he went down there with all of the materials needed to do the job. The king was supplying this. So all of these verbal threats, all of these physical threats were empty threats because they were there in the presence of the king. They were there in the authority of the king. What they were doing was sanctioned by him. So nobody could touch them. Nobody could actually do anything to them. Yet it says here that the physical threats are actually impacting them. Because again, it isn't so much about if they actually can do something. It's, it's about the it's actually happening around them. So they didn't even have to fight them. They didn't have to raise a sword against them at all. But now their mind's starting to think. And they're not looking at who God is. They're not looking at what he's called them to do. But they're starting to look at where the enemies are starting to stack up. Where they're starting to align. The physical threat. The emotional threat or the verbal threat. And then we see the toll here in the last one. In verses 10 and 11 of the internal threat. Verse 10, 11, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. This last threat that is facing, they're facing here is 
an internal threat, and it's, it's trying to get them to abandon the work that God has called them to do. See, this is probably one of the toughest ones. When somebody that comes up that's amongst the church and says something to us or, or that does something. And listen, it wasn't that these things were wrong. Was, was the labor's hearts failing? Was the work too great for them? Was there too much rubble? Yeah, it says that there was too much rubble in Nehemiah that he had to actually get off the horse because they couldn't fit because there was so much rubble. Is what they're saying wrong? Absolutely not. That is absolutely the case. They're getting tired. They're getting weak. They're emotionally drained. They're physically drained. There's too much work for them. There's too much going on. The threat is real. They look around and there's very angry enemies looking at them, trying to hurt them. But the problem was that God was calling them not to see the obstacles, but to see him. To not see the opposition, but to see that the opportunity was still there in front of them to build the wall. See, God called them to build And they were looking at all of the different things that were stopping them from building or that could harm them. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on the oppositions because this is just three. But as many of us in this room know, there's countless oppositions that we come against. Fear, failure, sin, temptation, trial, all these things. Opposition would be anything that would come in between us and the work that God's called us to do or us and seeing God clearly. So there's countless ones, and every one of us in this room has faced an opposition at one time or another. Maybe we're currently facing one. But today isn't about the opposition that we face. Today is about how do we overcome that opposition? How do we use that opposition for good? Because God says that he works all things together for good for those who are called and love him. So how is it that we get our minds back on that? How is we get focused back on that? Well, what they did is very simple but has profound truths if you actually break it down. And I would never be somebody who would be an advocate of a cookie-cutter prayer or cookie-cutter Christianity because I think that God has uniquely made each one of us, as he says in his word, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that even while we were in our mother's womb, that he formed us and that he made us, and that we have been saved through unique and different situations, that God guides us through those different situations, so I don't think that there would be any one thing where I would say that there is this prayer or there is this that would, would be something that would hit for you. But I think that there are very practical steps that they took and how to overcome that. The first thing is they prayed. They definitely prayed. And the second thing that they did is that they set a watch. That's watch is a set a watch or that they set a guard. They, they had somebody who was watching or protecting. So the first thing that we did in overcoming this opposition is prayer. Look at this in verses 4 and 5 as Nehemiah comes to the place where he just got ridiculed and he just got discouraged through a verbal threat. He comes to the place in verse 4 and he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, it's amazing to this because many of us in this room know what it's like to have the darkness almost suffocate us, come to the place to where it just consumes us. Uh, and I know for sure that Nehemiah was going through the discouragements and the oppositions that were coming. Uh, my brother um, and I, when we were younger, he was 15 months older than me. But we got this idea that we were going to try and go through a tunnel at night. Um, and I, I don't do well at night. I don't do well with darkness, okay? Dark water is one of my biggest fears. 
darkness is right up there too. So, but you know, when you're a younger brother, you're like, yeah, dude, let's totally do this. I got this. And so we went to this tunnel and we had a flashlight and, uh, we, we, I don't think any of us actually ever went in the tunnel, right? We just got to it and then we're like, oh, oh, see, so yeah, I took a step in and we never actually went in. It was too, too scary, but we had a flashlight and what they would do is, uh, my brother and his friend would turn off the flashlight every once in a while. And it's like pitch black outside. We're just outside of the tunnel. And what happened is, as soon as that flashlight went off, my mind was going crazy, right? When it was dark, I started seeing things that weren't there. I heard things that weren't there. I mean, because I'm so terrified that my mind and my heart, all these things are playing tricks on me. And I was almost like, I was like just getting so worked up that I wanted to run. But you can't run because I'm the little brother. And then they would turn the light back on and it almost like it would flood me with like this peace. Like, okay, there's nothing there. And I can be okay. But then they flip it back off again. And then all of a sudden, those same things that I thought were there, I'd hear noise over here. I'd see a shadow over there. And there's no shadows. But my mind just would play tricks on me. Same thing is true. The same thing happens to us, right? When the darkness starts to come in, we hear things that may not be there. We see things. And as soon as that light is flicked on, then all of a sudden, all that darkness, all that fear, all that stuff just fades away. And we can actually see what's true and what's there. And here we go, and we come into this place to where they're trying to overcome that. And Nehemiah, no doubt, is going to the place where the darkness is coming in on him, and the people are starting to lose hope, and he's getting to the place where he's getting discouraged, and he just comes to the place where he just flips on the light, and then the truth is known. But how does he do it? How does he get to the place where they overcome that? The first thing is they prayed. I love that Nehemiah didn't set up a committee. He didn't start... Uh, just saying, come on, guys, let's rally and let's let's take these guys on. They're weak. We're stronger. He didn't do any of that. He didn't sit back and just make fun of them, you know, whatever. He didn't say anything. He came to the place where he fell on his face before God and he invited God into his troubles. He invited God into his opposition where he said, God, I know that if I'm going to get victory, it's going to be because of you. Everything that we go through is spiritual. And I love that Nehemiah can see that and people in the Bible saw that because we can look at this and go, that's a physical problem. You need better defenses. That's an emotional problem. You need a, a, a stronger counselor or a stronger uh, mindset to, to battle that. We can come to all these places, but Nehemiah, he doesn't do any of that. He comes to the place where he falls before God and he says, oh God, hear our cries. If we're going to make it through this opposition, we need you. To intervene boldly, powerfully. Oh, Holy Spirit, be here. That song, that's what it's about. It's be here in this place. Be here in our lives. Because if we're going to get victory, it's only going to be because of you. He says, invited God into their opposition. And then he says, oh, our God. Oh, our God. I love it because he could have said, oh, God, right? That would have been perfectly sufficient for the need that they had oh god hear our prayers oh god hear that we are despised and that would have been completely sufficient or he could even have said oh my god showing his utter and complete dependency upon god but rather than that he says oh our god and i love it because he still shows his dependency but he also shows that it's all of israel that is completely dependent upon god the thing that nehemiah does is that he knew that it wasn't nehemiah that was building the wall but it was the Lord building the wall through all of the people that were there. If we're going to come to the place to where we pray and we invite God into our troubles, into our opposition, we need to also know that God wants us to be independently 
broken and surrendered and desperate for him, but also corporately. See, one of the things that I've found in my life that has been one of the greatest encouragements to me is the leaders and the people at my church that God has put around me. I know this, that when I'm struggling, I can go to my pastor and I can come to him and I can ask him for prayer. I can let him know the struggles I'm going through, the pains that I'm going through, the uh, failures that I've had, and I can come to him and I can humble myself before him and he'll pray for me. And you know what is so funny to me? In my mind, what I thought as a pastor is, you've you got to have it all together. You can't show weakness. You can't show that you don't have that. You can't show that, that you are struggling. You can't show those things because you're going to lose your job, you know. And that was exactly what was running through my mind. So for years, I sat at a place of just trying to internalize it and trying to process the oppositions that I was facing until I came to the place where I, I couldn't hold it in any longer. And I broke. And I've shared before, there's a certain like stages of crying like there's like a you know little tear and it's like oh he was kind of moved and then there's like like crying maybe a little bit of uh sound and like wow he was really moved and then there's just like downright ugly crying right i mean sobbing snot bubble like (laughs) wow and that is what happened to me (laughs) So I would encourage you, don't hold it all in or else you will have that. And it will be very humbling to go before people. And when the Lord broke me, it wasn't in a quiet time by myself. It was amongst the leaders at Ray's, our youth camp, when I'm trying to explain to them uh, what they can expect from camp. Twelve different churches and me standing in front of them. And it just was heavy. (laughs) And you know what? It was amazing. Um, it was one of the most powerful things that I've seen the Lord do because in that, that, that transparency, that brokenness, um, the Lord just spread it through all the leaders. And we had one of the greatest first nights of camp amongst the leaders where people were getting prayer and encouragement through times in which they were struggling in the same way where they were holding it in thinking, I have to rally rather than pray. Invited God, come to the place where we humble ourselves before our leaders, before the people that God has put next to us, that we might battle together. But they also got real. Have you guys ever had those moments where you have uh, prayed around an issue? Right? Like the issue that you're going through and you pray around it. My first thing when I got to Bible college is that I felt that I needed to learn how to pray more spiritual. Right? like get real spiritual with it because I had seen people do that and I thought that that was what I needed to do. And you know, one of the things that was one of the greatest encouragements is that Bible college, Chuck Smith came up who was very influential in many people's lives. And he came up and uh, one of the pastors was there and his wife had cancer. And uh, he just came up and he said, Chuck, I, I need you to pray for my wife. She has cancer. And Chuck, you know, as jolly old man he would say, okay, you know, and he sits down and he prays and he says, Lord, what is this cancer to you? Heal her in Jesus' name, amen. That was it. In my mind, I was thinking, is that the beginning? Is he going to come back to something, you know? Like, because in my mind, I was thinking that it needed to be something more, right? And, and 
find out that the pastor that was getting prayed for, he also felt that way, as he shared later. I felt ripped off, is what he said. I felt like I'm coming to this man who I trust that the Lord is with, and he prays like nothing, you know, like just a few words. It turns out that that pastor's wife was healed, <laughs> and he got a very valuable lesson on what prayer is and what it isn't, and it not being a show. But it was just very real, to the point, Lord, what is this cancer to you? The issue is she has cancer and we need that healed. The issue that they have is we are despised. They are mocking us. They are threatening us. Turn their threats on their own heads. Lord, listen to our cries. Come to the place where we're praying, Lord, help me with my addiction. Help me with my, my faith. Help me with with the struggles that I have, and come to the place where we pray directly. Charles Spurgeon had this great quote on prayer. It is of no use to have a hammer with an ivory handle unless you aim it at the nail you mean to drive in. It doesn't matter how eloquent your prayer is or how powerful it seems in your mind. If you don't aim it at the issue that you have, then it means nothing. Aim our prayer at the real issue that we have. If we are coming to the place that we are struggling with an addiction, struggling with bondage, struggling with fear, struggling with whatever, aim our prayer at that and pray for that. Come to the place where we don't try and over-spiritualize it, but get to work with the Lord. And then it causes them to ask the Lord to battle for them. They invited the Lord into their, their, their troubles, into their opposition, they prayed collectively as a group, but internally were still broken. They got to this, the issue at hand, which was their being despised. And then they said, Lord, now go to battle for us. Turn their taunts on their own heads. And at the end, they knew who the ultimate authority was. He said, for they have provoked you to anger in the midst of this people. I love it. That is exactly what I wish that I do. I'm not a prayer warrior. I'm not somebody who's good at that. I have ADHD. I'm hyperactive all the time. I start praying. I stop praying. My son is two, and he prays like I do. He says, Jesus, amen. <laughs> Enough said, right? <laughs> Done, son, you nailed it. He's like, yeah. You know? My daughter is a little more, she's five, she has a little bit longer, and I think she's going to be the prayer warrior in the family. She is very intuitive. She sees things that I don't see, and she's praying for people that are hurting, and I'm like, sitting there like a dad, like, how did you see that? Like, that's amazing. And then it's encouraging to me. But my idea is, I wish that I could come to the place to where I invite the Lord in, that I know, faithfully know and believe that He is going to battle for me. Because that gives me great strength. That gives me great courage knowing, God, you go before me. Whom shall I fear? If you are with me, then who's against me? You know, like, man, this is exciting. And they invited and he said, Lord, this is not our problem. We consecrated this wall to you. We gave this wall to you. This is not a, them coming against us. This is them coming against you. They provoke you to anger. They're attacking your wall. They're attacking your people. They're attacking your work. So Stand. And fight for us on your behalf. I love it. Their prayer was, was a, a prayer that they invited the Lord in, that it was a collective prayer, that it was a real prayer, and it was recognizing who was in control, and it was recognizing where the ultimate power would be coming from. But they didn't just pray, right? 
They could have just prayed, and that would have probably been okay in our minds, but they didn't just pray. The next thing that they did is they actually set a watch, or they set a guard. And this is important because their prayer was active. Their prayer led them to do something, and that something was set a watch. Look here in verse 9 of Nehemiah 4. And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And in verses 13 and 14, so in the lowest part of the spaces behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, with their spears, with their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love it. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This remembering who the Lord was, remembering how he was great and awesome, led them to take up guards and to set them in specific situations and spots that they needed to be. Now, a guy from first service asked me, what does this mean? So I want to break it down a little bit further. The guards that they set up were people in whom were, were chosen to be in this position. It wasn't like they just randomly went up and said, John, Jimmy, Billy, come on, let's go. And you guys will be there all day all night, and just kind of watch for any suspicious activity. They, they were very specific about what they did and, and who they set in those positions. They put people in specific situations where they knew that the enemy would attack. It says in verse 13 and 14 that they actually put them in the low places and the weak points that the wall wasn't actually finished. They set guards there. They set them in the high places so that they could see further out. And they set these people and they had them watch day in and day out, night and day, they had them watching to protect and to make sure that the work continued. Well, how does that apply to my life? Listen, if you're somebody who is struggling with alcoholism, then don't go to a bar. It probably wouldn't be wise to do G-strings for Jesus and go and put tracks in strippers' G-strings, which is a ministry that I heard people were doing. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's not setting a guard. That's opening up the gate and letting the enemy run in. And that's actually tearing down the work that the Lord is doing. A church down in Texas had a lady come in and take her clothes off while she shared about the Lord. Because it said it was celebrating the Lord and it was glorifying him because it was what the Lord had given. Listen, we as a church need to understand that we need to set a watch, that we need to put guards at the weak points. We know where those are in our hearts. I know where I struggle. So I don't allow the enemy just to march right into my camp. I don't allow the enemy to march in. I set a watch. I set a guard or I put things up. If you struggle with lust, then don't look at those things. Have accountability partners. If you struggle with anger, have people that you can go to that can pray for you, that can encourage you. Take practical steps. Whatever it takes to make sure that we aren't coming to the place to where we are not protecting the wall or the work that God has called us to. And thereby not protecting the little ones that God has given to us. I know what my heart is capable of. I know what Jacob can do in his own strength. I've seen that. I've been given evidence of that. And so because of that, I set a watch. Because of that, I pray and get on my face and say, God, don't let me come out. I can't protect these little ones. I can't be the father that they need. I can't be the husband that my wife needs because I am insufficient. I need you to show up. I need you. And then I set a watch and I set a guard 
knowledgeable, knowing where the enemy will attack me. They set guards in strategic places. They put them in places where they knew the enemy would attack. In verse 13, they put them in the low places. They put them in all the places in which they knew that the enemy was going to be at. Listen, day and night meant they were doing it continually. On Tuesday, we had, uh, or Thursday, we had a board meeting. We went around the board, asked how everybody was doing. And uh, one of our board members was, you know, I'm doing fine. You know, I, the struggles, I don't have struggles as much anymore because I'm an old dude, you know. That's paraphrasing. He might have said something different, but something like that. And so our pastor uh, had a very wise word of saying, listen, since I've started here, there have been over 10 churches that have lost their pastors due to a fair, and all of them were 40 years and above. He said, the enemy doesn't take vacations. He doesn't just let go because you're older. He is constantly fighting, and therefore we shouldn't give up as well. And I was like, yeah, that was good. And semi-encouraging and discouraging, because I said, well, then I've got like some time until the real threat would happen. But if this isn't the real threat, then I'm really in trouble. Is what I feel. And I'm like, Lord, help me. Desperation. But it was really cool to see that because it's easy for us to get in our minds and to get tricked into, well, I'm past that place or I'm past that sin or I'm past that discouragement or that opposition. So now I can relax or I can give up or I can just, you know, let the guard down, remove some people from their post. We find that the enemy doesn't give up, that he is relentlessly day and night coming after us listen opposition always creates a change opposition will always create a change in us it's either going to create a growth or it's going to break us down the choice is ours as we close here i want to focus our attention to genesis 4 7 through 8 where the lord's speaking to cain he says if you do well will you not be accepted And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Listen, this is an example of opposition breaking someone down. The Lord came to him and said, Cain, opposition is there. It's knocking at your door. It is right here before you, and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. You must come to the place to where you let go of that opposition and you allow the Lord to use that as an opportunity for growth in your life. And Cain had nothing to do with it. He allowed that opposition to come into his house. He allowed it to consume who he was and it cost his brother his life. Listen, what I didn't realize is that when I was actually purchasing my house that that wouldn't be the biggest challenge that my wife and I would be facing. In February, March of 2015, my wife and I were at a place to where the enemy was seeking to destroy our marriage. And at that point had a lot of very good footholds in it. To the place to where uh, I actually came to our board of elders and I laid my position down before them and said, I don't know if the Lord is still using me. I don't know if this is where he has me still. And I said, I would like to lay my position before you and ask that the Lord would just have his way and not mine. 
was one of the hardest things in my life. I remember going to, we have similar back rooms, and going to them and just, just again, just sobbing before God, saying, what, what do you desire of me? What else do I have left to give? And you want everything from me. I, I'm offering it all to you. And the Lord revealed that I was still holding on to a big part of who I was, that I had taken my wife and I had put her in a position where she was the source of my joy put her in a position that was impossible for her to sustain and to keep. And when she fell off of that position, then I ridiculed her and was upset that now she was no longer the source. See, that day I faced some of the greatest opposition I've ever faced in my life, and I came to the place to where I could have willingly stepped away from my marriage. I could have willingly done that, laid down the ministry, and the Lord wouldn't let me have any of that. The Lord said, what is your position, Jacob, in the marriage? And I said, to be a representation of you. He said, then you've got to get on the cross and you have to die. I said, I don't want to. He said, it's not about what you want. It's about what your family needs. And I remember the pain and the, the frustration of even saying the words and saying the, that, that I forgive when I didn't want to. And I can tell you this, that that day... My wife and I chose to not let the opposition consume and destroy us. We rather would let the Lord use it as an opportunity to build us closer together and closer to him. And for the last year and a half, our marriage has never been greater. That our influence and our ministry has never been greater. And I can look back on that of times of rejoicing, even though there were times of sorrow. And I can look back and say, man, God, you are so good. That even when the opposition was so great that we were on our faces before you, just unwilling to look up, that you lifted our heads and that you brought us to this place to where now there's restoration and there's growth and there's happiness and there's healing. And it was amazing and it was so cool. And let me tell you guys that every time you come across opposition, it always changes you. Always. And not all opposition is the same. The story that I shared with the grass and the lawn is definitely not the same as the one that I shared about my wife or even the one about Nehemiah's walls. But listen, every single person will face opposition. And that opposition will change us, whether we allow it to grow us into God's image or break us down. Opposition doesn't define us, but the way that we face it will. So I encourage you to pray, set a watch, have a mind to work and a heart full of faith and you will see that the opposition of the enemy will actually turn into the opportunity of the Lord because their opportunity was at the very end in verse 6 that they had a mind to work and because of that the work continued and in 52 days they built a wall that they prayed for for four months. For 52 days of work Nehemiah prayed for four months you're wondering how long do I have to pray? Pray until the Lord shows up. It's the Indian rain dance, you know. You dance until it rains. That's why it's effective. You pray until the Lord shows up, you know. That is it. You pray until he shows up. And then you watch how the Lord will faithfully give us opportunity to turn jo- uh, sorrow into joy, to turn mourning into dancing, to turn opposition into an opportunity to see the Lord show up. And it builds the faith inside of us. 
Man, these guys, their faith grew each time as the opposition was there and they saw the enemies were real. They saw that the, the people were attacking them. They saw that, that all those things that were there were true. And they saw that the Lord kept them at bay and that they were able to work. Man, it built their faith. It built the faith that God was sufficient. It built the faith that God was going to be there, that God was going to fight their battles, that he was more than just some dream in the sky, that he actually was a very real help in a time of need. Let's pray. Father, we are, Lord, just so thankful, Lord, that you have given us today, Lord, this opportunity to come and just open your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just use that word, Lord, to just just break down any any areas in our hearts, Lord, that are separating us from completely surrendering to you. Lord, some of the people that are in here are going through opposition, Lord. They feel oppressed. They feel uh, broken. They feel as though they can't even look up because of their sin or their failure. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just come alongside of them. Lord, lift their, their eyes to you, Lord. Lift their hearts, Lord. Allow them to come to the place where they could just come and just release Lord, as, as your word says in 1 John 1, 9, if we are faithful to confess, Lord, that you are Lord, faithful to forgive us. And we pray, Lord, that that would happen, Lord, that you would just cleanse us, Lord, of all of the, the selfishness, all of the, the faults and the failures that we have, Lord, in order that we would come to the place where we'd be able to see you and that we would get to work on the work that you've called us to do. Father, again, we are so thankful for you. And we pray, Lord, that you would just go before us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.